Let us pray. Dear God, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit as we seek more fully to live and to love as you intend. And we pray all this through Christ who showed us how. Amen. When we were living in China, these uh, stereograms were all the rage. And maybe you remember a time back in the 90s that they were the rage as well. Now, if you just look at this picture, uh, I emailed this to you, so I hope uh, you had the chance to look at it. If you look at it just with, your, with the naked eye, it looks like a bunch of a blob of colors, doesn't it, Clayton? Yeah, nothing but that. But the beautiful thing is that if you learn how to refocus your eyes, suddenly you will see a 3D image within this blob of colors emerge and rise right off the page. Now, how many of our kids today had their parents show them this picture? Anybody? And uh, if they did, what did you see inside it? Anybody want to raise their hands? Looks like we might need an adult. How about an adult? What do you see in this image if you learn how to refocus your eyes? Uh, Nobody's reading my emails. (laughs) Sue, help me out. I'm, I'm dying here. <laughs> yeah, dolphins. How many of them? Two. Praise the Lord. So after church, you can come up and take a look at this. But if you refocus your eyes, you'll see two dolphins jumping off the page right at you. Now, friends, something very similar is happening in our second reading today from Matthew 22. And I invite you to turn to that passage and to follow along with me. A Pharisee has just asked Jesus, of all the 613 commandments in the Hebrew law, which one is the greatest? Now the interesting thing is Jesus is asked for one but he gives back a two-for-one special. He says, and the first one is from Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall, notice that later on, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second, he says, drawing from Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what Jesus does here brilliantly is weaves together our love of God and our love of neighbor as ourselves, because you cannot do one without doing the other. Now, notice that Jesus is not inventing anything new here. What is new is the way that he is raising up two commandments 
and differentiating them from the other 611, which is as fresh and exciting as a 3D image rising up off of a flat page. What he's doing is helping us to refocus our eyes so that we can see human life as God really intends. And this twofold commandment is meant to help us interpret, and not only interpret, but to evaluate critically everything else in the Old Testament. Jesus is taking us from 2D into 3D, moving us from focusing on just being right about things like tithing dill and cumin and what's the other one? Mint. Moving from being right to being in love with God and our neighbor and ourselves. Now, isn't it fascinating that Jesus does not choose even one of the Ten Commandments to be part of His greatest commandment? Did you notice that? Is this maybe because eight of those Ten Commandments are negative, you shall not commandments? You see, negative commandments are like guardrails. They keep us from flying off the road and over a cliff. And they're important. Things like don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't lie. Very important. But on their own, they have a tendency to leave us focused on only doing the bare minimum. Think, for example, about the world of difference between simply not stealing and being generous. Think about the world of difference between doing no harm and doing good. Positive you shall commandments can be endlessly and lovingly and creatively lived out to our final breath. And that is exactly the kind of life to which Jesus is inviting us and pointing us in what he says today. A life in which we endlessly and creatively and lovingly Love God, love neighbor, and self. Last, eve, or last Monday night at the community meal, and by the way, do you notice how often our community meals come up in our conversations? You'd think that this is God's way of helping us to finally get the gospel. 
Last Monday night, I spoke with a young man just released from prison. And guess what he did in jail? Read the Bible. But he told me, Pastor, it's a hard, hard read. Ever felt that way? And he said, you know, mostly when I read it, I didn't understand what I was reading. And as he was talking with me, I thought back to one of my Chinese students who said to me, teacher, how come you love the Bible so much? I read it. And Genesis and Exodus were pretty interesting, but then I got to Leviticus and I quit. You see, these friends, this man who's just out of prison and my student, were, stare, were just like me, staring at a stereogram and only seeing a chaotic mess of color. They hadn't learned yet that Jesus is the one who helps us to refocus our vision so that we can see what really rises up off the page and what doesn't. Jesus is the one who helps us to evaluate what in the Bible represents God's deepest will and purpose for our lives and what does not. Now the sad thing is that we live in a world where many Christians, even many Christians, don't know this. And they still regard the Bible as a flat book where everything that is written is equal. But such an understanding is not at all faithful to what the Bible even says about Jesus. John 1.18 says that Jesus is the one who is close to the heart of the Father and who has made God known to us. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the one who images to us, our, is our living icon of our invisible God. And Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the very reflection of God's glory, the exact imprint, wow, <laughs> the exact imprint of God's very being. And then later in Hebrews, Jesus is called the pioneer and the what? Perfecter. Perfecter of our faith. What this means is that God's whole salvation story, sweeping from one end of the Bible to the other, culminates in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. As our Mennonite Confession of Faith says, because Jesus is the Word become flesh, Scripture has its center and fulfillment in Him. What I'm saying, folks, is that if the Bible were a topographical map, 
Jesus would be Mount Everest. Keep that in your mind. Jesus is our Mount Everest. And He is the one who radically re-clarifies for us who God is and how we are to read the Bible. And so now let us turn to Matthew 5, our first reading, because Jesus gives us here a clinic, a clinic in how to read Scripture. Although we often, often miss it, He teaches us how to refocus our eyes so that some things rise up off the pages of the Bible in 3D and other things don't. Six times He tells us, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And each time, He is challenging us not just to see the law's surface requirements, but to see God's deeper intentions within those laws. He's challenging us to go deeper. His first clarification begins in verse 21. And notice how he often moves us away from a negative commandment toward a positive one that can be endlessly lived out by us. The first clarification, he moves us from you shall not murder to you shall be reconciled with your enemy. Clarification number two, He moves us from, you shall not only not commit adultery, a good thing, to, you shall be faithful to others in what you think about and imagine. Number three, he moves men from divorcing and abandoning their wives with a simple certificate. To you shall do everything within your power to honor your marriage covenant. Number four, he moves us away from just you shall not swear falsely to you shall be known as a truthful people whose yes is a yes and whose no is a no. Number five, he moves us from an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to you shall turn the other cheek and overcome evil with good. And finally, he moves us from hating our enemies to you shall love them. And even more amazingly, you shall pray for them. Pray for them. In these six teachings, Jesus is doing something incredibly 
radical. He is telling us not to be held captive by the words on the page. Refocus your eyes so that you can more deeply live and love as God intends. When I started my seminary studies back in 1998, I was in the midst of a full-blown spiritual crisis. Earlier, while we'd been in China, I'd carefully read through the Bible from cover to cover for the very first time. And I fell in love with Jesus all over again. Especially the way He lifted up the poor and the lowly and the way that He brought the self-righteous and the powerful down to equal level. And I felt Him calling me in a very personal way toward His kingdom in some life-transforming ways. So that's the good. But the hard was that I was greatly troubled by the Bible's 600 passages of gruesome violence. 1,000 verses where God's violent acts of punishment are described, and 100 passages where God directly commands for people to be killed, sometimes for no apparent reason. And I was also weary of all the twisted rationalizations that people gave for these stories. Well, God didn't mean this. God meant that. And and I felt like a theological pretzel after a while. The Bible, I just told you, had some beautiful colors in Jesus, but it still looked like a chaotic mess to me. And one day in class, we had a guest lecturer, John Driver, the Mennonite missionary and missiologist from South America. He came to one of my classes, and afterward, I bent his ear about all of these situations that were troubling me so deeply. And God bless John, he listened listened very patiently to me with great grace, and then he finally said something that changed my life. Nine words. We must interpret the Old Testament as Jesus did. And I even wrote his words in my Bible next to Matthew 22 with the date, October 1999. Somehow, I had been raised in a Mennonite family. I'd gone to Mennonite high schools. I'd gone to a Mennonite college. But this still was surprising news for me. That I had permission to read the Bible with the eyes of Jesus. And it set me free. 
And I'm telling you this story so passionately this morning because I don't want it ever to be surprising news for us here, especially for our children and our young people. They should not go out into the world and go to some college and lose their faith because this is brand new to them. They should have been equipped and trained with this way of reading the Bible here at East Chestnut. Here at East Chestnut, we want to give everyone the permission to read the Bible in this way. So that when we encounter passages that seem to conflict, for example, Joel 3.10 calls us to beat our plows into swords. And Micah says the opposite. Beat our swords into plows. When two passages disagree, we let Jesus be the referee. Here at East Chestnut, we want everyone to learn to see the Bible as the story of God's people, sometimes moving three steps forward, but sometimes moving two steps back. Much like me, much like you, perhaps. We want to train people to read the Bible with the eyes of Jesus. And when that happens, our job is to see where the two-step backwards texts are moving, which is invariably toward vengeance, divine pettiness, law over grace, empire, exclusion, and outer conformity rather than inner transformation. But we also want to train our congregation to see where those three steps forward texts, and there are many of them, where they are heading. And they are heading toward mercy and justice and inclusion and nonviolence and living under God's reign. Dear friends, my prayer for our community today is that learning to read the Bible with the eyes of Jesus will help all of us to take the Bible more seriously, not less. That it will lead us to engage Scripture more passionately rather than leaving our Bible dusty on our shelf. And most of all, that reading the Bible through the eyes of Jesus will lead us into a deeper and more dynamic relationship with God. That's the goal. Leading us into deeper relationship with God. You know, when I was living in China, let me close with this. Part of my job was visiting rural Churches that were just emerging out of three decades of 
harassment, and sometimes out-and-out persecution. And during those visits, Chinese Christians would often tell me that they treasured their Bible so much that they willingly risked their very lives to keep it hidden somewhere inside or near their home. And in one village, I I tried to find the picture of this, but I didn't have enough time, and with a move, I don't quite know where it is. But I have a picture, and it's precious to me, of an older couple holding the Bible that they had kept wrapped in plastic and put up in the rafters of their home at risk of death. And every night they would bring that Bible down to read from it to their family. And one of their children today is a pastor. I also met Christians who had copied out whole sections of the Bible by hand. It was so precious to them and so precious to be shared with others. And these were all farmers. And they knew that their crops could not survive with rain. And they knew that their souls could not survive without God's sustaining word. Friends, may we regard and treasure Scripture in the same way. Amen.